G'day, my name is Jeff. It's my great privilege to look with you again at this book of Genesis, chapters 48 to 50 today. Can I encourage you please to have your Bible open? We're going to read large sections of these chapters and think about what they mean and what they meant for us as Christians. We'll also help you to have the outline of the talk that's on the service program that hopefully you've downloaded during the week. Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is that we can have this book of Genesis to study. What a treasure the book is in showing us who you are and what you promise to do for us. Please help us as we look at these last few chapters to understand what they mean and help us to think hard about what they mean for us who have all of your promises fulfilled in Jesus. Do please help us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know the word epitaph? Epitaph. An epitaph is a, it, it, it's a short statement in honour of someone who has died. A short statement in honour of someone who has died. Now, usually you find an epitaph uh, inscribed on a tombstone or on a plaque or something like that. Now, often epitaphs say something about the relationships that the dead person had. I guess, I guess it's a way of saying that family, their relationships were the most important thing to them. So you'll, re you'll read something like this. In loving memory of Jeff Reed, dearly missed husband of Carmelina and father of Joel, Daniel, Joshua and Bianca. They never really knew what they had until he was gone. Uh, sometimes you see tombstones that talk about the person's job, as if, if that's what really identified them, if that's what mattered to them most. Uh, so you'll read something like this. In loving memory of Jeff Reed, minister of Chatswood Presbyterian Church, they never really knew what they had until he was gone. Uh, sometimes you see tombstones that talk about hobbies, if that's what was really dear to the person. So the tombstone will say, uh, gone fishing, or uh, gone to the great golf course in the sky, or he died in blue and gold, stuff like that. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you see final pieces of advice. Here are a few examples from tombstones uh, that uh, I've seen in this last week or so, uh, live life to the fullest, for life is all too short. I could do it all again. I wouldn't change a thing. I did it my way. Well, some people, some people take the opportunity to say something funny, I guess, as a way of laughing in the face of death. Here, I've got a few examples for you. Spike Milligan's famous tombstone. I told you I was sick, every hypochondriac's vindication. Or uh, Rodney Dangerfields, it, it, it's a Jewish joke. I know they never go well, but uh, hopefully you'll get it. It's what people allegedly say when a Jew moves into the area. There goes the neighbourhood. Uh, I don't know whose tombstone this is. This one's definitely not a Jewish joke, but I suspect many of the foodies in our church can relate. He loved bacon. Oh, and his wife and kids too. 
Although this one reminds us that the joke is eventually on us. Don't laugh, you're next. Epitaphs. They're a chance to show the world what was really important to you. In your death, you can reveal what mattered most. Well, we've come to the last study in our series on Genesis. 28 weeks we've spent together on the book. And, and as we've seen, it's built around 10 stories. 10 stories. Uh, first, we had the story of the heavens and the earth. That's in chapter 2 and verse 4. Look, look it up with me if you like. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. This is the account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Uh, God made everything good. He made humans in his image to be his people, living in his place, the Garden of Eden, under his blessing, enjoying, do you remember, Sabbath fellowship with God. But it was all ruined, wasn't it? Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They were, they were thrown out of Eden and into this cursed world. That was story number one. Uh, story number two, the second story, is the story of Adam's family history. You can see it in chapter 5 and verse 1. Genesis 5, 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. In this account, we see the terrible impact of sin and the curse as each and every person's story ends the same way, and then he died. Third story. Third story is the story of Noah, chapter 6, verse 9. 6, 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Humanity's rebellion has reached such a level that God destroys the world. Only Noah and his family survive. Story four is the story of Noah's sons. Chapter 10 and verse 1, 10, 1. This is the account of Shem, Ham and Japheth, Noah's sons. Uh, in this story, humanity bands together in rebellion against God. They build a tower to make a name for themselves, but God comes and, and scatters them and confuses their languages. Story five is the story of Shem. Chapter 11 and verse 10, 11, 10. This is the account of Shem's family. Uh, we trace Shem's family line all the way through to the man Abram. And story six, story six is the family line of Terah. That's Abram's dad, chapter 11, verse 27, 11, 27. This is the account of Terah's family line. In this story, we follow the life of Terah's son, Abram. God makes promises to Abram. Promises that in the context of the flow of the story are so important because they're promises to reverse the curse on the sin of Adam. Promises to restore humanity, to, to once again restore the relationship between God and man. God promises to make Abram's family, God's people, who live in his place under his blessing. In the story... There are lots of challenges to the promise, most notably the fact that Abram and his wife can't have even one child, let alone become a great nation. But God eventually provides Isaac to inherit the promise. 
story seven. Story number seven, we just very briefly follow the family line of Abraham's other son, Ishmael, chapter 25, verse 12. 25, 12. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Ishmael. Then story eight. Story eight is the story of Isaac. Chapter 25, verse 19. 25, 19. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. And we follow Isaac's struggles as he as he lives as a foreigner in the promised land. And then we follow the story of the struggle of his sons, Esau and Jacob, as they compete with each other from before birth, compete with each other for supremacy. Uh, Jacob, we find out, although he's the younger son, he is the one who will inherit the promises. As the story progresses, Jacob has 12 sons and a daughter, And then by the end of the story, after all kinds of amazing adventures, he's back in the promised land and he's reconciled to his brother Esau. Brings us to story nine. Story nine, just very briefly, we follow what happens to Esau's family. Chapter 36 and verse 1. 36, 1. This is the account of the family line of Esau. And then we come to our last story, tenth and final story, and that's the story of Jacob's family. Chapter 37 and verse 2. 37.2, this is the account of Jacob's family line. This final story, it focuses, as we've seen, uh, mainly on one of Jacob's sons, and that is the man Joseph. Joseph's brothers, they hate him. They sell him as a slave to Egypt. But there, God raises him up to to rule Egypt. Joseph saves Egypt uh, and, and also Canaan as well from famine. And then he invites Jacob and the rest of his family to join him there in Egypt. Can you see then how this book of Genesis is structured around these 10 stories? And are you getting the sense of the the overall narrative, of the overall storyline? God makes everything good. Adam and Eve are God's people in his place under his blessing It's all ruined by sin and sin as it spirals and gets worse and worse and worse. But but through his promises to Abram, to Abraham and his family, God is at work reconciling people to himself so that they can once again be God's people in God's place under his blessing. Do do you get the storyline of the book? If I had to summarise what Genesis is about, what Genesis is about in just a phrase or two, I'd say this. I would say it's all about God's promises. It's all about God's promises to restore sinful humanity to right relationship with himself. But as we come into the last two chapters of Genesis, the promises are far from fulfilled. The people of Israel, they're starting to grow in number and they've survived the famine But Jacob and his family, where are they? They're living in Egypt. They're far away from the promised land. Jacob, in chapter 48, is dying. And so he gets a message to his son Joseph. He calls him in and and he tells him, he tells him on his deathbed about the most important thing that ever happened to him. Jacob tells Joseph about his experience of receiving the promises of God. Genesis chapter 48 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Genesis chapter 48 and verse 1. 
Got it? Genesis 48.1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. Jacob knows he's dying, but, but with these promises of God in mind, he, he does two things. Two things that reveal what is most important to him. First, he blesses his sons and the light of God's promises. And second, he arranges to be buried not in Egypt, but in Canaan, the promised land. First, in the rest of chapter 48, Jacob blesses Joseph and his sons. And again, the promises of God are firmly in mind. Have a look at verse 15, chapter 48, verse 15. Then he blessed Jacob, Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name and the names of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and may they increase greatly on the earth. Blessing in the light of the promises. Uh, then Jacob gives Joseph an inheritance in the promised land. I guess it's to remind him that even if he's ruler of Egypt, Egypt Egypt it still isn't home. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And to you, I give one more ridge of land than to your brothers. The ridge I took from the Amorites with my sword and my bow. Chapter 49. Uh, chapter 49, Jacob calls his whole family together. And then working his way through each one of his sons, he, he gives them a message about their future. Chapter 49 and verse 1. Chapter 49, verse 1. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around so I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father, Israel. Jacob starts off with his first son, Reuben. He says, he says that Reuben has lost his rights as the firstborn. Uh, and uh, you may remember the story. It's because Reuben slept with Jacob's uh, concubine. Next, he talks to Simeon and to Levi, the next in line. And he says they're not going to get the rights of firstborn either. And again, it's because of a story that you may remember. It's because of the violence that they showed when they avenged the rape of their sister. Instead, leadership of the family passes on to Judah. That's in verse 8. Verse 8, chapter 49, verse 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. Uh, Jacob goes on to say things about all of his sons. And all of it again, it, it, it assumes that just as God promised, they will become a great nation. The, the 12 tribes of Israel, it's, 
It's all with God's promises in mind. Verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, giving each the blessing appropriate to him. Jacob's final instructions. Uh, his final instructions are about his burial. He insists on being buried in the promised land. And it, it, it's meant to be a kind of an epitaph. In his burial, Jacob wants to say to his family and to the world, this is what matters most to me. The most important thing in life or in death is the promises of God. Verse 29, chapter 49 and verse 29. Then he gave them these instructions. I'm about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre in Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob had finished giving instructions to his sons, he drew, he drew his feet up into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. Well, that's Jacob and life and death showing what's most important. Brings us to the final chapter of Genesis. Final chapter of Genesis, we focus on Jacob's son, Joseph. Now, first, he and his brothers, they do what their dad asked. They bury their dad in Canaan, and then they return to Egypt. Chapter 50 and verse 12. Chapter 50, verse 12. So, Jacob's sons did as he had commanded them. They carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which Abraham had bought along with the field as a burial place from Ephron the Hittite. After burying his father, Joseph returned to Egypt together with his brothers and all the others who had gone with him to bury his father. Uh, Joseph, he then reiterates the forgiveness, uh, his forgiveness of his brothers. Uh, like his dad, Joseph understands that the, the most important thing is God. It's God's plans and God's promises that not matter, not what he is feeling inside. And so, and so he's able to forgive and to bless his brothers, even despite the terrible things that they did to him. Verse 16, the brothers sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. That brings us to the very end of the book of Genesis. And the book ends with Joseph dying and like his father, Joseph insists on being buried, not in Egypt, but in Canaan. Why? Again, it's a, it's a final message, isn't it? it, it it's a kind of an epitaph. Joseph is waiting, even in death, for God to keep his promises. That's what matters most. 
verse 22. Verse 22. Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. Also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. It's a powerful message Joseph is giving here, isn't it? I mean, think about it. Joseph was the ruler of Egypt. Egypt. I mean, if anyone in history knew how to do a decent burial, it was the Egyptians and the pharaohs. These guys knew better than anyone how to be buried. I'm sure you have heard of the pyramids. Uh, they, were, they were perhaps the world's biggest testament in history to the power and wealth and and influence of the leaders of Egypt. They were full of gold and treasures of, of every kind. Joseph, he has it all in terms of this world. He is the ruler of Egypt. But in his death, Joseph is showing what is most important. He doesn't go with a pyramid full of gold. No way. That's not what's most important. Joseph goes for a place in the promised land. Because it's God's promises that matter most. All right, there it is. Congratulations. You've made it to the end of the book of Genesis. And can you see what's here in these last couple of chapters? Jacob blesses his sons and insists on being buried in the promised land. And then Joseph, he also blesses Jacob's sons and also insists on being buried in the promised land. Both of them, they are showing they're showing what's most important. In life and even in death, they are waiting on the promises of God. Interesting book, this book of Genesis, isn't it? Fascinating. But notice, notice this. It's not a finished story. You get to the end of the book of Genesis and God's promises are not fulfilled. The author to the Hebrews puts it really well in the New Testament, and I've put this on your outline. He says this, it's from Hebrews eleven thirteen. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. There's no reversal of sin and the curse. There's no God's people being in his place under his blessing forever. The, the story of Genesis doesn't finish with Genesis. It, it doesn't even finish with Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy or Joshua as Israel come out of Egypt and, and into the promised land. This story of God's promises, it's, it's, it's not finished through all the stories of the judges or, or the kings or the prophets. It, it isn't finished through the whole Old Testament because, because by the end of the Old Testament, people are still sinful there is no end to the curse they're still living under the curse of God the relationship between God and man by the end of the Old Testament it is still in ruins the book of Genesis 
it doesn't find its fulfillment in itself. No, 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 friends. The book of Genesis, it finds its fulfillment in Jesus. It's Jesus who comes and lives the perfect life that Adam and Eve and, and all of us should have lived. It's Jesus who then, who then dies in our place to pay the price of sin and the curse. It, it, it's Jesus who rises again from the dead as the eternal king and judge of the world and as the one who promises to, to raise up his people and give us a place in the new heaven and earth where we will finally and fully be God's people in his place under his eternal blessing. Genesis finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So friends, do you want to know what to do with the book of Genesis? Do you want to know how to apply the book of Genesis to yourself? It's very simple. The way to apply the book of Genesis to ourselves as Christians is this. Rely on Jesus. Rely on his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins. Rely on Jesus as your eternal king and the one who can give you an eternal place with God. Rely on Jesus in whom all of God's promises find their fulfillment. And then friends, in terms of these last two chapters, look, I think the application is this. There's nothing more important. There is nothing more important in life or death than God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. Jacob and Joseph, they knew that. In these last chapters, they show that by, by their life and their death. They show that God's promises were most important. And friends, for us who know, who know Jesus, who know the end of the story, well, it should be all the more true for us, shouldn't it? God's promises should be the most important thing in our lives. Jesus himself put it so eloquently. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Friend, are God's promises the most important thing to you? Maybe ask yourself the question this way. What epitaph would the people around you write for you? As they look at your life. If your family or your friends or your workmates, if they had to write your epitaph, if they had to, if they had to try to encapsulate in just a few words what matters most to you, what would they say? Would they talk about your family? Here lies Jane Jones, beloved daughter of Jack and Jill, beloved sister, mother and grandmother. Is it all about family? Or would they talk about your work? Here lies John Smith, faithful accountant. Is that what your life demonstrates is most important? Would they talk about your hobby? Here lies Fred Wong. He drove a really nice car. Don't get me wrong, all these things are fine. But you get the point, don't you? What does your life reveal is most important to you? What will your death reveal is most important to you? Are you spending your life building pyramids to wealth and comfort and pleasure? 
or are you living and dying for the promises of God? In 2011, author and pastor John Stott died. Uh, before he died, he was given an opportunity to give his final words. And this is what he said. Let me quote. I want to share with you where my mind has come to rest as I approach the end of my pilgrimage on earth. And it is God wants his people to become like Christ. Christ-likeness is the will of God for the people of God. There's an epitaph. 2018, evangelist Billy Graham died. On the day of his death, he was asked how he would like to be remembered. And he wrote this. By the time you read this, I'll be in heaven. I hope I will be remembered as someone who was faithful. Faithful to God. Faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And faithful to the calling God gave me, not only as an evangelist, but as a husband, father and friend. Just a few weeks ago, theologian Jim Packer died. Before he died, he was interviewed. And the interviewer asked him, what would be your final words to the church? Let me quote from an article about it. After a 10-second pause, he said, glorify Christ. Then adding, every way. Glorify Christ every way. Friend, what will your epitaph be? Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, you're what matters most. Your promises are our only genuine hope in this life or in death. We know it's true. We know that your great promises are fulfilled in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. We know that only he can raise us and give us a place as your people in the new heaven and new earth under your blessing forever. Lord, we know it's true, so will you please help us to live and die as if it is true, and more than that, as if it is the thing that matters most. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.